Hello and welcome aboard this island nation, the Maritime Program. Tom McSweeney here with Justin Marr for the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. On this edition, had this man a touch of madness when he bought the wreck of a boat more than a hundred years old? Small bit, yeah. I bought her without even seeing her. I didn't know what condition she was in. Bought my wife over to shore. We were after gathering up the deposit and we paid the deposit and we were going to pay the rest of the money when we took the boat away. And uh, without using any bad language, um, she said, what the... And we'll hear what the master plan for the Shannon Waterway is intended to achieve. It'll reposition the Shannon as a destination of international scale and singularity and at the centre of Ireland's hidden heartlands. So there's huge opportunities for the towns, villages and the businesses into the future. It will really unlock the tourism potential within the region. This Island Nation is Ireland's maritime radio programme, coming to you from the studios of Community Radio Yall, CRY 104FM on the East Cork coastline, bringing together the maritime community around Ireland, an island people, a community bonded by the sea around us. You can contact the programme, where your views and comment are most welcome, by email to thisislandnation at gmail.com. That's thisislandnation at gmail.com. Phone or text 0872-555-197. What motivates a man to buy the wreck of a yacht over a hundred years old that has just been badly burnt by vandals and to decide that he can repair it? Why bother? Or was he mad to think of doing so? Mark Bush lives in Crosshaven in Cork Harbour and hails from the great Bush family of boat builders with links back to Baltimore and West Cork and the legendary George Bush, a name revered in boat building circles to this day. Mark restored a legend of Cork sailing, the Cork Harbour One design, Elsie. This class of boats dates back to 1896 and are icons of Cork sailing history. Elsie was ashore when badly vandalised. Mark Bush decided he could restore her. At his workshop, he told Tom McSweeney that she was practically destroyed in the attack. She was. She was um, vandalised by a couple of young fellows over in Carrigaloe, and they must have been inside in her. They might have been having a few fags, and uh, she caught on fire. So that was it. Looking at the photographs, uh, she was badly damaged. The whole stern of her looks like it's gone. Uh, most of her... Most of her port side was gone. Um, it was very badly charred all the way through, really. So all frames, planking had to be all redone, really. What made you want to buy her and restore her? Because she looks in the photographs after that damage, to put it mildly, a wreck. Well, I suppose as a young fella growing up at home, uh, being, uh, being in a, a boat building family, uh, the one designs often came up. And um, I always had it in my head that I'd love to do one. And then I had a photograph in the house for years. And uh, I bought her without even seeing her. I didn't know what condition she was in. I was willing to get it before somebody else did. He must have been mad. Small bit, yeah. Um, 
brought my wife over to shore. We were after gathering up the deposit and we paid the deposit and we were going to pay the rest of the money when we took the boat away. And I brought her over with the two kids. We drove over on, on the ferry and we parked up alongside the boat and uh, without using any bad language. Um, she said, what the... But you know what, in fairness to her, she had the insight to know that I was determined to do this as well. So I suppose the next step was to get a few people to help me out with finance because I wouldn't have been able to do that by myself. Even though I was able to do 80% of the work myself, I had to get some backing. So my brothers, in fairness, had faith in me and they were both out of the country, which even made it better. So that's how it started, really. Looking at the photographs there in your huge album of them putting it together again, uh, it took years. To put the boat back together? Uh, about a year and a half uh, from start to finish, from when we bought the boat up to the shed and then trying to get people to help with finance. Um, I think I bought her in 2000 and I think uh, we put her back in the water 2001, the summer of 2001. So That was pretty quick for the, the amount of work that looks like it needed to be done. Well, I, I, I was lucky. I had a joinery shop alongside me. His name was Rod Allen, and I happened to be employed by Lanes, Kevin and Martin Lane at, at the time. So um, machining timber and getting stuff pre-ready was no, pro- was no problem. Um, time was my problem, so I did realise I had to get some help in. So I uh, took on board getting Liam Hagerty and some of his men up to do the planking with me. So I'd done all the framing myself and uh, when Liam had headed back west, I got stuck onto the deck and in the meantime I was making the spars and stuff myself. So it it was a project that we had to get done to because uh, the main object for my brothers was a bit of investment, but also to get that boat in the water and go racing. You make it sound easy, Mark, but it looks a huge job when I look at it now and see what you restore. It looks a massive job. Weren't, weren't you ever kind of... Um, why did I take this on? I suppose at times I would be up there, like it took up an awful lot of my life uh, at that period because it, uh, I was up there morning, noon and night and I was renting the shed as well and I was doing some repair work. So I was doing three days inside with the lanes and doing three and four myself. But um, yes, it was fairly mammoth, but um, very determined, very determined once I got going at it that time. I was in my 30s that time, Tom. I'm 52 now, but I had a big drive that time. What's the reward? I mean, apart from anything financial now, but the reward to yourself of bringing something like that back from the dead effectively to life again? Well, there is a fierce reward, like uh, sailing her, even watching her float the first day that time, like she hadn't been in the water in 10, 12, maybe 13 years before that, maybe longer. I, I, I don't know quite the history of that, but just to see her float and, and, and to see her leak, you know, a timber boat always leaks like, and, uh, and to see that leak getting smaller and smaller as the weeks and months go by. Um, and then racing her, getting those sails up, you know, her her mast has stepped five feet from the bow. Her boom extends the stern by three feet, which makes the boom possibly 26 feet long or something like that. A huge sail area, no winches, no purchases, just pure rope and cleats and nothing else. Those men 
124 years old that boat is today those boats are they were built in 1896 to think of the sailing date on that time with no gear no nothing and it was nice to reenact that too and the competitiveness it was fantastic racing fantastic and these are a huge part aren't they of Cork sailing history huge part of uh, the Yacht Club below in Crosshaven the Royal Cork and a huge part of Cork Harbour like there was 10 of them you know there's almost six now ready, some ready, some in, uh, sailing all together. Six could be on the water if things went right. Six could be on the water, whether they're going to be six on the water this year or not. But uh, I think there is a little bit of a drive going on, in fairness, with uh, the Japas back in Cork. Uh, the person that purchased it a few years ago donated it back to the harbour. And there's the syndicate looking after that. Um the Signet is in Crosshaven Boatyard, just awaiting a rig and a, a touch-up and to get sorted. Um, the Minx is for sale and she's ready to be gaff-rigged, just needs a set of spars and sails. Um, the Corita just needs a bit of winterising and she'll be back in the water. Elsie's in Castle Point Boatyard, just awaiting a touch-up of paint and to be put back in. And Maureen is in a shed over in Carrigaloe and they could be in the water. You, you could have three to four in the water this year, possibly. When you sold her on, did you ever regret it after all the work or take pleasure in the fact that she's still going? Well, I do take great pleasure that she's still going, and the most important thing about selling a boat, they say buying a boat is one of the best days, and selling the boat is the other two days. You have two good days when you own a boat, when you buy it, when you sell it. Well, the day I bought that, I don't know, was I that excited? Whatever about being excited then in the Cork Harbour, one designs are exciting to sail. Huge rigs, I've sailed in one of them, challenging and demanding, but a great experience. Mark Bush there and Elsie is now owned and sailed by Cork solicitor Pat Dorgan. It's always encouraging to hear from listeners, and in the context of traditional wooden boats, we were particularly delighted to hear from David Satter in New Jersey, USA, who listens to our colleague station, Connemara Community Radio, which broadcasts this programme. I listen here in my wooden boat shop in New Jersey, he says. I heard your Island Nation show today. I love everything Irish and maritime. What a great show. Wish we had more like it over here. Traditional boats are my favourite. Just thought I'd let you know. Well, we're delighted you did, Dave, and so too they are in Connemara. Davy and Cathy Satter run a family-owned boatyard in the northwest of New Jersey, surrounded by lakes and streams, and you can see more about it on their website, satterrestoration.com. Now Justin has a roundup of other maritime news from home and overseas waters. government has approved emergency help to three ferry companies to keep five strategic marine corridors open between Ireland, Britain and Europe during the COVID-19 pandemic. They are Dublin to Cherbourg in France, Rosslare to Fishguard and Pembroke in Wales, Rosslare, Cherbourg and to Bilbao in Spain. These have been designated as being of public service obligation. Transport Minister Shane Ross has given Irish ferries, Stenoline and Brittany ferries emergency provision of €15 million Euro for the next three months. 
Another ferry company, the 180-year-old P&O Ferries, has reported financial difficulties with 4,000 jobs under threat and is seeking assistance from the British government. Thousands of seafarers are on the oceans of the world at this time, keeping ships carrying supplies moving. But restrictions by some governments on the movements of seafarers to join their ships in port have been criticised as interfering with this essential supply chain. The United Nations Maritime Agency, the International Maritime Organization, has called on all governments to designate professional seafarers and marine personnel, regardless of their nationality, as key workers providing an essential service in order to keep shipping and supply chains open during the COVID-19 pandemic. Australian Antarctic Programme research scientists have reported the first documented heatwave in Antarctica after a spike in temperatures. A heatwave was recorded at the Casey Research Station in East Antarctica during the Southern Hemisphere summer. Animal and plant life could be drastically affected, the scientists say. And finally, the remains of a 90-million-year-old rainforest have been discovered under the Antarctic ice. Fossil traces of the ancient rainforest were unearthed under the ice in West Antarctica in a sediment core. A team of international researchers took the traces from a seabed near Pine Island Glacier. In these awful times, there is a sound that more people are noticing, and that's birdsong. Despite all the problems caused by COVID-19, nature is triumphing, and more birds are migrating to and from Ireland. Seabirds are the first of the migrants. Swallows are on their way too, and cuckoos are coming. So Niall Hatch of Birdwatch Ireland gives us an oversight of the returning migrants. This season is one that birdwatchers really look forward to, with so many birds migrating to and from Ireland. But of course, this year is a very unusual one for us all. With people stuck at home and most nature watching on hold, it is proving very difficult indeed for us to keep track of all the arrivals and departures. Just before the government's COVID-19 restrictions were announced, however, good numbers of sandwich terns were seen arriving to their regular coastal summer haunts. This bird is always one of our first migrants to arrive, usually in mid-March, and its raucous calls and plunge diving fishing methods are a real feature of the Irish springtime in maritime locations. How our other pelagic and inshore migrant seabirds are doing at the moment is less clear, however. While reports of seabirds have understandably been down of late, Birdwatch Ireland has nonetheless seen a big increase in inquiries in recent weeks, mainly from people who are confined to their houses or apartments and have developed a newfound interest in garden birds. The bird identification section of our website, www.birdwatchireland.ie, has seen a remarkable jump in traffic, and we have been inundated with photos and videos of unusual birds from people's gardens. Invariably, the vast majority of these rare sightings turn out actually to be common birds that have simply gone unnoticed by householders before. For example, we've been getting lots of photos of wrens and chaffinches. Far from being rare, these species actually both outnumber human beings in Ireland. It is curious that they are not better known. More people are noticing the dawn chorus at the moment too, waking up to the rich sound of birdsong for the first time in their lives. As a result, quite a few people have asked us if the current COVID-19 restrictions have somehow led to an increase in songbirds in recent weeks. Of course, that can't possibly be the case. The same number of birds is present as there always would have been. It's just that the lack of traffic noise is allowing their songs to carry further, brightening the days of countless people in the midst of an otherwise very dark and worrying situation. Several returning migrants have a good chance of being spotted in gardens and in the course of the permitted exercise excursions within two kilometres of our homes. At the moment, thousands of swallows are streaming into Ireland, having spent the winter in southern Africa and returning here now to breed. 
They have the endearing habit of nesting inside human-built structures, so if you're lucky, you may find some nesting in your shed or porch. Their close relatives, the slightly smaller and browner sand martens, are also coming back to us now. These birds generally nest in tunnels, which they excavate in sandy banks, quarries and soft cliff faces, though some also nest in holes in pier walls and harbours. It is worth keeping an eye out for them if you happen to be coming or going from port in the next few weeks. Cuckoos, too, should be back with us any day now. More often heard than seen, this species has declined markedly in Ireland in recent years, a consequence, it seems, of climate change, of the disappearance of so much of its insect prey, and of similar declines in the numbers of the small birds whose nests the cuckoo hijacks. With traffic noise virtually a distant memory at this stage, however, perhaps more people than usual managed to hear a cuckoo this year. The classic cuckoo song of the male, for which the species is named, can carry for quite a distance. By May, our swifts will also be back again. The last of Ireland's common migratory species to return each year, these superb flyers favour urban and suburban areas, nesting in roof cavities, church spires and, increasingly, specially provided nest boxes. Their distinctive screaming cries as they swoop and wheel overhead is, for me, one of the most evocative and welcome sounds of summer in Ireland, and I'm really looking forward to hearing it again. If you are fortunate enough to see or hear any swallows, sand martens, cuckoos or swifts this spring, we'd be extremely grateful if you could please take just a few seconds to log them for us at www.springalive.net. Spring Alive is a wonderful educational and migration monitoring project that operates in over 40 countries across Europe, Africa and Central Asia, and is an initiative of BirdLife International, sponsored by Heidelberg Cement. Every record counts, including yours, so please don't forget to visit the website. It is a wonderfully fun and educational activity for children, in particular, especially when they are unable to go to school. Also, if you happen to be looking for more activities to occupy restless children, or you want to learn more about nature, please check out the Fun and Learning section of the BirdWatch Ireland website. The public submission deadline for the National Marine Plan has been extended until the end of the month, midday on April 30th, due to the current health crisis. Another marine plan open for public consultation at present is the Shannon Tourism Master Plan to develop tourism along the Shannon, Ireland's longest river, over the next decade to 2030. Led by Waterways Ireland with Foil to Ireland, it aims to reposition the combined Shannon Navigation and Shannon Earn Waterway as a key tourism destination in Ireland, based on the region's natural and cultural assets. The Irish Farmers Association wants a single management authority for the waterway and for planning to be extended beyond tourism because of the impact of flooding along the river. Local groups and councils in nine counties have been working on the plan. Sharon Lavin is the Head of Marketing at Waterways Island and she told me it will also link into the urn. We have seven strategic initiatives that will position the Shannon as well as a distinctive and sustainable tourist destination. And when I say Shannon, it also includes the Shannon urn. So we're taking in the geographical scope from Cavan right the way down to the estuary in Limerick. So the seven signature initiatives are enhancing the on-water visitor experiences looking at enhancing waterside visitor experiences, elevating and promoting the Shannon towns and villages. Most people that are familiar with the region will know that that region has been in decline in recent years, obviously with recession. We're looking at elevating their profile, protecting and enhancing the Shannon environment, improving connectivity. It's very evident in terms of traversing north, south, east, west, just to improve that connectivity both on the water and on land, and then building enterprise and community networks. So there's a significant number of 
enterprise and community groups that are already established along the Shannon and Shannon Earn, and it's about bringing those together and improving that connectivity and working together. And then ultimately, it's communicating a clear and consistent message. What will arise from this is that it will achieve a better regional spread of tourism and visitor activity, but the coordinated development will maximise, I guess, the outcomes in the longer term, both from public and private investment. Now, there are very many different types of tourists. What would be the profile of tourists that you're looking to bring into the Shannon Waterways? These are the tourists that are looking to explore that slow adventure, looking at the slow adventure, getting out there, exploring the region. So finding new things, being able to meet with the people. So that culturally curious group as well, getting out there and enjoying what what is there to be seen. You know, from the many consultations that were carried out as part of this process, it was very, very apparent that there is a significant amount of product there as it stands, but it's about elevating and identifying what are the signature experiences and how you actually present that in a manner that is self-explanatory. So for most tourists, they're very familiar with the region, the Wild Atlantic Way, Ireland's Ancient East. It's very apparent, very clear what the sale is, what that's all about. But for this I think it's about elevating and identifying what that that unique experience is, what is unique and defines this region. So it's about setting that scene, lifting out those experiences and presenting them in a manner that will enhance and reposition the Shannon and Shannon Urn as a key tourism destination. I think this is going to be a game changer for anybody in this region that is involved in tourism or is considering getting involved in tourism. This region has suffered in recent years with low visitor numbers. We've already seen that there has been an uneven provision of visitor services and experiences along the Shannon and Shannon Urn. So for those that have a business that um, fits within the profile of this Ireland's Hidden Heartlands proposition and features in the types of experiences that the Shannon Tourism Master Plan is looking for. This will set the scene for future development. Notwithstanding that, there's a legal requirement to go out for public consultation on the environmental elements. So one, this is about protecting what we have. We use the term sustainability throughout the document, and that is about ensuring that the environmental actions are, you know, that we are being sustainable and delivering a program of actions and activities that consider the future of this region. There's a huge amount of opportunity here. It'll reposition the Shannon as a destination of international scale and singularity and at the centre of Ireland's hidden heartlands. You know, it's the longest river in Ireland, taking in then the Shannon and the Shannon Urn. There are so many unique experiences from Cavan right the way down to Limerick. And it's about lifting out those and identifying what those experiences are and then harnessing both the economic and social potential within that region. So there's huge opportunities for the towns, villages and the businesses into the future. It will really unlock the tourism potential within the region. Sharon Levin of Waterways Ireland there and public consultation on the Shannon plan closes on Wednesday the 22nd of April. Submissions can be made online through the Waterways Ireland website. Now, while we humans are locked down, our movements restricted, the inhabitants of the marine world are getting on with their lives. Nature continues in its wonderful way, as the Chief Executive of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group, Dr Simon Barrow, reports. As the human population is locked down with the current pandemic, life goes on in our marine waters. 
although the number of sightings being reported to the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group is well down on a typical year, people are still observing whales and dolphins and porpoises as they take their daily exercise on the coast or are lucky enough to live within two kilometres of a headland. Many species of porpoises and dolphins, such as bottlenose, common or rissos dolphins, are resident in Ireland and occur all year round. Sighting rate tends to reflect the sea conditions rather than their seasonal distribution, with fewer records in the winter when the wind is up. This winter has been particularly windy with storm after storm. Other species such as minke and humpback whales are seasonal, arriving in Ireland in the spring to feed in our rich and productive waters. The first minke whale of the season was reported off Slay Head, County Kerry, by Nick Massett on the 18th of March, and since then minkes have been reported from South and West Cork, and from other parts of Kerry. Up to nine were observed by Patrick Lyon off Crow Head on the Bear Peninsula on April Fool's Day, but this was no joke. We don't know where minke whales go when they leave Irish waters, maybe offshore, maybe south. But one species we do know where at least some of them go to is the humpback whale. After taking 16 years to make our first match between Ireland and a known breeding ground, Cape Verde off West Africa last April, we got a second match this year also from Cape Verde. An individual photographed off counties Wexford and Cork in 2017 was photographed off Boa Vista in March this year. A great result. The first whale blows this year have been seen off Galley Head and Crow Head in West Cork. Too distant to be sure they were humpbacks, but most likely the species, returning to our inshore waters to feed. Welcome back. So while we are restricted in our movements, the whales and dolphins in the North Atlantic are not. The endless cycle of feeding and breeding. It'll be interesting to reflect in years to come on the impact of COVID-19 on our whale and dolphin populations. With less activity on the water, will they have more space and peace to feed and breed? Will inshore fish stocks recover a little to provide enhanced feeding opportunities? In a time of uncertainty, it is reassuring to know that life in our ocean continues on regardless. This is Dr Simon Barrow of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group for This Island Nation. And you can join Simon every Friday at 11am in the morning in a home education programme on Facebook Live. With other experts on marine mammals, he presents Fluky Friday in a virtual classroom to which comments and questions can be sent by email to education at iwdg.ie. That's education at iwdg.ie to learn more about the whales and dolphins that populate Irish waters. The two oldest yacht clubs in the world, the Royal Cork at Crosshaven, celebrating 300 years this year, and Loch Ree Yacht Club at Athlone, celebrating 250 years, have had to cancel planned celebrations, the Clinkerfest in Athlone in June and Cork Week in July amongst them. Around the country, all sailing clubs were closed and the sport has stopped. However, a new president has been elected to the National Authority, Irish Sailing, at an annual meeting attended only by the outgoing president and the organisation's chief executive. The new president is David O'Brien of the Royal Cork Yacht Club. Former President Jack Roy and his wife Rosemary have been chosen Sailors of the Month by the National Sailing website afloat in recognition of their commitment to the sport. 
And so we end this edition of the Maritime Programme, This Island Nation, produced at CRY 104FM, Yall on the East Cork coastline, and broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland. In Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South, and Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio, in Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM, Radio Cork in Clare, Kilkenny City Radio, West Limerick 102 FM, in Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar and Eris FM Bell Mullet, Cork City Radio, West Cork FM, and Community Radio Bear Island, on Apple Podcasts, Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify, and the MarineTimes.ie. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime Community on Community Radio. The programme email address is thisislandnation at gmail.com. That's thisislandnation at gmail.com. Phone or text 0872-555-197. 0872-555-197. Until our next programme from Justin Marr in the CRY 104FM studios in Yol, and from me, Tom McSweeney, reporting from my home on this edition, The Usual Wish of Fair Sailing.